Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case File 23, Roseanne Galliunas. And we're back. Hello, everyone. Another week. Another, another week. Another murder. More Texas crime. So our crime takes place close by us in Richardson. Uh-oh. Which, you know, is just half demolished by 10 tornadoes. Mm-hmm. We are in October the 4th of 1983. Okay. And there's a detective, Morris McGowan, and his partner, Mike Corley, are on their route for the evening. And they get a call from a fire and paramedics to 804 Loganwood Drive. And the report is just that there's an injured person, circumstances unknown, um, no need to respond at this time, we'll give details. And McGowan said, maybe we should just go ahead and check it out, we're just down the street. And as they're getting there, now it's coming back that there's a gunshot victim. At Logan's oh, address. So sure. now they're worried. It's a good thing they started going that way then. Exactly, because the person could still be there shooting. Mm-hmm. We don't know. So first responder to arrive was paramedic Bill Dugan. He arrived on scene, and the front door was slightly ajar, and they knocked on the door. No answer. So they opened the door, and they saw a four-year-old boy watching Sesame Street eating cereal. Okay. And when they came That's in... That's a little disturbing. If the, you just heard gunshots. Yeah, yeah. They came in, and the boy started yelling at them, My daddy doesn't want you here. If you don't get out, he's going to beat the hell out of you. A four-year-old boy said that? Yes. So the paramedics asked him, where is your mommy? And he looked down the hall to the bedroom, and he just pointed. So they went down the hall, and they reached Wait, what, the... what time is it again? It's in the evening. It's okay. dark. I'm not sure exactly what time, but okay. it's, it's in the evening. Maybe around 7, 6.25, okay. 7, I believe. For some reason, I already wrote the story in my mind that it's like three or four o'clock in the morning. I don't know why. No, it's, okay. the, it's later in the, okay. evening, in the afternoon. So they got on the hall, they reached the bedroom and they could hear what sounded like someone choking. So they open the bedroom door and they find a woman laying face down. Her head is off the edge of the bed. She is bound at both arms and both legs to all four corners of the bed. Oh, like all spread all out? All spread out, like making an X. Oh my god. She has a pair of pantyhose around her throat. She has something in her mouth and she is wearing a negligee. From the looks of it, she's mm. been violently raped. Paramedics go over there. They're trying to cut her down, but they can tell she's alive. So one paramedic starts an IV and he's trying to get to her airway and he's just removing all this tissue and paper from her throat and it's it's deep. He just keeps it's... pulling and pulling and pulling and there's oh all kinds god. of stuff coming out. So they work together to do the best they could to try and and help her, but they, they're worried that she's... Like there's still some shoved down the, her throat that they can't get. And just there's blood everywhere, and they don't know the extent of her injuries at this time. So Wait, as, there's blood everywhere? There's blood. They can tell she's been violently assaulted sexually. Right. So mm-hmm. they don't know where the blood is coming from, okay. and it's just a lot going on. So they're just trying to make her stable. So McGowan and his partner pull up, and as they approach the home, a gurney's coming out. EMTs got there before the policeman did. Correct. But usually, don't they? Don't the EMTs have to wait for clearance from the officers if there's been gunshots? Yeah, but I mean, they probably just went in. Unless to... EMTs didn't know there were gunshots. Maybe not, because at first, the first one was just there was an injured person. Okay. Then later, it came that there was gunshots. Okay. So the gurney's coming out, and there's a policeman, John May. He notifies McGowan. I have a woman who's been shot. Her name is Roseanne Gelliunis. She's a white female probably in her 30s, and she looks really bad. So Detective McGowan approached the gurney, and he saw you know, a dark-haired woman. Her face was very swollen. She had a very glazed look over her eyes, and her hair was completely matted all over with blood. You could tell that she had been shot in the head. So McGowan enters the home, and he sees a young boy crying, and he runs out of the house and runs across the lawn towards a man standing at the end the of the... The little boy does? The little boy runs across the lawn to this man who picks him up and embraces him at the street. So Officer May and Detective McGowan brief that the son was there and that he obviously knows something. So they need to find out who the father is, where the father Mm -hmm. was, 
and try and get a story from the little boy. The man that was embracing the little boy, McGowan starts to go towards him and he learns as he's walking, talking to the other detectives that that is her husband, Peter Galeunas. So this doctor. is the little boy's dad. Yes, Dr. Peter Galeunas, who is an internal medicine doctor. So did the dad just pull up? He, he was, was outside? Just, he was just standing out there, yeah. So McGowan instructed the other policeman to ensure the little boy does not come back in the home. Mm -hmm. He stays with the caregiver that he's with. And he meets with Officer Wayne Dobbs, which I think was a policeman yes. in another case. His name sounds very familiar. Doesn't it? Anyway, so he tells McGowan, just go to the back bedroom. That's where it happened. It's gruesome, but you can go to the back bedroom. So McGowan went towards the house. He walked into the bedroom and the pillows were bloodstained. The bed sheets were bloodstained. Three of the posts still had... This cotton rope that hung down that had been cut away from her ankles and wrists. Yellow tissue paper, which looked to be from a birthday gift, like the kind of tissue paper oh, you put no. in birthday gifts, mm. um, where it was near the pillow. And next to the pillow, he sees a bullet hole. So he sees that that must have been where the shooting happened. A couple pairs of pantyhose were draped over what had been around her neck and her blue robe lay across the foot of the bed. On the floor was a pair of sandals. And next to that was a pool of vomit and a mm. multicolored belt that matched a dress that was torn up. So Detective McGowan, he said, when I walked in, perfect mix of emotional chaos and normal routine. He's like, you could tell where the bed was like where all the chaos was. But then you see her blue robe perfectly laid across the end of the bed where she probably would put it on before bed. Okay. And her sandals where she would put on at the end of the night. But then next to it is this pool of vomit right like the chaos is right next to the normalcy and it's so crazy how that's a really cool way to put it i mean i'm not, he I'm not see her day-to-day -day routine was not mixed in with all the bullshit with all all this chaos there were, was a pair of jeans on the floor that she had stepped out of i guess to put on whatever she had on um but then her bra and panties were torn and had blood on them on the bed uh, her jewelry box was open her purse was there with a stack of papers. She had her cigarettes. All her money was there. There was a framed photo of a woman and a young boy, which they believe was her and her son. Mm -hmm. As soon as McGowan starts to look at the area, Officer May comes back and he says, I just want to let you know the man that embraced the son is Dr. Peter Galeunas. He has already asked for a lawyer and we haven't questioned him. Uh-oh. And McGowan's like, well, that doesn't raise a red flag. Exactly. You know, why is he asking for a lawyer? His wife is, I mean, she's not even dead. And so I'm really, he was just standing outside. Like, he was just standing outside. They go over to the neighbor because they want to know what's going on. And her name was Paige Billings. She lives with her mom. And they had seen the little boy and his mother several times. She was new to the area, but they had never spoke to her. They'd only really The neighbor seen... was new or the Gillian? Gilly Eunice. <laughs> Roseanne. Roseanne was new or the neighbor was new? Roseanne was new. She okay. had only been in the neighborhood for a few months, but they said that she was a new divorcee and the dad only came by to pick up the son and drop him off. Okay. So they weren't together, they which were is divorced. why he was outside. Correct. Was it time for him to pick up the kid? Like, what was he doing there? We don't know yet. We'll I'll find that out you know. later. Mm -hmm. Okay. So after they finished speaking to... So or... just the son and the mom lived there. Correct. Okay. Reasons. So he didn't come and visit and stay. He no. would like, come get the boy, Leave. drop the boy off. Yes. So they kind of asked Paige and her mom, like, what her routines are. And they said, you know, we thought it was kind of odd today because the mom's very protective of her son. And the son's name is Peter. Also. I was going to so ask you that. He's Peter Jr. So Peter Jr., being four, obviously was never allowed to play outside without his mom. Mm -hmm. And they had noticed earlier that day that he was outside in the front yard playing by himself. And they told him to go back inside because his mom would be upset. Yeah. So I that mean, was a little bit dangerous odd. for him to be yeah, in front by himself. And he's four. Yeah. He doesn't understand. You're not allowed to be. Mm -mm. And God, you know, God forbid a stranger come by. So mm -hmm. as they're finishing up with Paige Billings and her mother, Dr. Galeunas walks up and he says, he says this to Paige Billings and the detective. As, as the detective is leaving, mm -hmm. Peter approaches Paige Billings and her mother. And he said, can y'all leave so I can use your phone? And they're like, um, no. Yeah. And he's like, well, I need to use your phone. I need privacy. I need y'all to leave. And they're like, all right, go ahead. Use my phone. So they let him treat them like that in their own home? Yeah. So like, get in. the fuck out and go use a pay phone. <laughs> yeah, right. Find a pay phone. I know. They could use it easily. doesn't matter. Yeah. You so don't, I don't owe you they anything. Go, they go out, they stay on the front I porch. I don't think so. Right? I mean, they're probably scared. They probably no, think maybe No, I'd be did. like, go know. ahead and try something. <laughs> it's not you and mom. 
Right. <laughs> so um, they stay on the front porch. After he does his phone call, he comes back out and he's like, did y'all see me here today? And they're like, no. Is he just being like an overly paranoid ex-husband because, you know, oh, they're usually the first he's ones? a little cray-cray. I'll okay. let you know, okay? Okay. So he, and they're like, he, no, we didn't see, we saw you talking to the police, but whatever you would, whatever, we don't know anything. He's like, well, I'm trying to make sure you know. I talked to them. I gave them my statement, but whatever you think you saw today, you better keep it to yourself. And Who does he think he is? He's one of those asshole doctors, yeah, isn't he? and then he just, he just leaves. So he goes over to the detectives and he's like, is my wife still, my ex-wife still alive? They're like, right now she's alive. They're going to do everything they can. You need to, you should go to the hospital and be with her. Mm-hmm. So as they're talking, this other man walks up and he's like, hello, my name is Larry Ayler. I am Roseanne's boyfriend. Awkward. Yeah. And he's like, and he's obviously emotionally stricken. He's like, where's Peter Jr.? Where is Roseanne? I want to see her. What's going on? I've been calling her. She's not answering the phone. Please tell me what's going on. And they just tell him, you're going to have to talk to the family. We can't tell you anything. And he he ran up on the scene. He said, I've been trying to call her every 10 minutes. The phone was busy for some time. And I got a weird vibe. One time Peter Jr. answered and I thought I heard something. And I'm just really worried about her. They're like, you need to talk to the family. So the little boy answered the phone? Yeah, I'll tell you, yeah. So I'm already sad. (laughs) It's sad. Yeah. The detectives take Peter and Larry to the station and say, we just need to get some information from you. There's really not a lot that we can do or that we know yet, but the more you can tell us, we can can kind of have a foundation. Build this puzzle. But on the way to the station, McGowan's like, it's, it's the husband. It's always the husband. Right. We and already know that. They're divorced. He's he ha- he's just standing in the street, and then he wants a lawyer. So they go to the station. They ask Peter Jr. in front of him who was at the home that day, and he didn't say anything. And they said, well, maybe he's scared of us. Why don't you ask him? He's like, okay, son, who is at the home today? He's like, oh, daddy, you're so silly. <gasps> like, don't ask a question. Like, why you are you asking a to? stupid question? Right. McGowan's like, this is the guy. But and what, the head detective of the homicide unit, Detective McKenzie, says, well, I think maybe it's the boyfriend. I am leaning towards the boyfriend because he just happens to arrive on scene. This poor, pitiful story about how he's been trying to reach her. Where has she been? Please tell me. Like, she, he already knows the answer. Well, at this point, it could be either one of them. Right. Right. And as he arrives on scene, mm-hmm. the first thing he tells them after his story is, just so you know, I have a 25 automatic rifle and you may find one in the house because I practiced shooting and I left it in my jeans pocket and I spent the night a couple weeks ago. So there you may find a shell casing that's mine. And they're like, why did he say that? A shell casing inside the house? Yeah, because he said that where he goes to shoot, he can't leave his casings. So he picks them up and puts them in his pocket. Okay. I, that's, I think and that's so, true for most places. Yes. So he said... I've stayed the night a couple nights ago. I just want you to know, if you find a shell casing from a twenty-five automatic, semi-automatic, it's mine. And I will give you my gun gladly. I have it in my in my truck. But I just want you to know, if something's happened, just know that it's probably my okay. gun. And I'll I'll give it to you. They're like, okay. Well, they I found, still go either way. They found that casing at the scene. Of course but they did. But at this time, with, until they run autopsy, which she's not dead yet, thank God. Until they assess her and look at her wounds, they don't know what kind of gunshot it is yet anyway. So Detective McKenzie, who's the lead detective, feels like it's the boyfriend. And Detective McGowan <laughs> feels like feels it's, like the, it's husband. the husband. Or ex-husband. Unfortunately, because Peter is a suspect, he can't take his son home with him. So, of course, Child Protective Services have to take him away. And, of course, that was an awful situation. They had to watch him. She doesn't on. have family there? Or they couldn't no. go with the neighbor? No. They have to go with the next yeah. kid, which is the, the dad. But... None of her family lives here. So she's new to the area. McGowan goes back to his office and he starts trying to set the scene, right? He's like, it doesn't make sense. There's no sign of burglary, right? There's stacks of money sitting out. It's not taken. There's no break in because the front door was open. Well, you said her, her jewelry box was open, but nothing nothing was missing. So you think you're, you're saying it was open because she took her stuff off. Yeah. She may have taken her jewelry off. Like he was saying the chaos and the normalcy Mm -hmm. was mixed together. Yeah. So he's, he's trying to make sense of it. He's like, okay, well her, her wounds and her injuries are very, very brutal. So is this a passion crime? Is it a hate crime? Like, does somebody hate her? Um, what but you she... think about the logistics of tying someone up like that. That takes time. Mm-hmm. If it's like a, if it's a hate crime, you're not going to 
You're just going to go in and get it done and leave. You're not going to spend any time doing anything. Pause. That seems a little bit elaborate. Pause. Doesn't that seem elaborate? Well, and it takes like if you're tying them up the way you explained, mm -hmm. you, I mean, unless you know exactly the length of rope you need, mm -hmm. you, you have to have all that stuff prepared. Right. And obviously she was dressed for bed. So we don't know if this was something like a little bit of fun sex night mm -hmm. that turned bad or, you know. Right. So he's trying to figure all this out. Yeah. He's like, and she was bound and gagged. He's like, it just doesn't, the wounds don't match how she was put out, right? How she was tied up. But that also doesn't match how aggressive the sexual assault was. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure what's going on here. So he starts wanting to investigate who Roseanne was. Well, mm -hmm. she was 33 and she was a nurse. Okay. She had just found a job at a doctor's office because she obviously had worked for her husband before they had divorced. Okay. He, his, uh, he worked at the hospital. So they worked together at um, Richardson, when it was Richardson Memorial or Richardson Methodist. I don't know which, where is that? It was off, it's the big hospital off of Beltline in 75, or Campbell in 75. I think it, oh. I think now it's Methodist Richardson, but I it used to so. be, I think, Richardson Medical Center. Okay. That's where they worked. So Beltline in 75? Mm -hmm. Yep. He goes on that. So the next day, they called, that evening, they call the family. They call her mom and dad, and they call her sister. Her name is Paula Donahue. And they live in Massachusetts and they call her and say, you know, I'm sorry to say, but she looks like she's brain dead. She did survive surgery, oh, but no. she had extensive injuries to her brain. And of course, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, the brain is, a, is mm -hmm. the weirdest part of the body. You never know what it's going to do. So we need you to come down. We need you to see her because you're going to have to make decisions because her ex-husband is now in custody and she hasn't changed her will. He is the next of kin. But because he's in custody, you guys yeah. have to come down. Yeah. That next night, McGowan sits down. He's listening to the news. And he hears about another woman in uh, Casa Linda. Oh, I know where that is. In Dallas. Yeah, that's over by White Rock Lake. Who was an RN, just like Roseanne, who was bound and strangled in her bed while her 10-year-old daughter was home. So was she tied up in the same manner? Mm -hmm. She was, it was very, well, she was bound and strangled in her bed. That was what he hears on TV. And so he calls uh, a policeman that he knows in that district mm -hmm. named Pat Heron. And he said, was she shot? And he said, no, she wasn't shot. She's alive. They didn't leave her dead. But she was also strangled with pantyhose. He's like, well, I'm going to send you the details of my crime. And we need to see if possibly yep. these two intersect. Good work. Detective. So while... Peter Jr. is with the family unit. He meets with a woman named Cynthia Perviel. And she is like a child psychologist. Mm -hmm. But she kind of... Because he's four, right? Right. So he just doesn't give all the answers. Right. So you have to do play therapy and right. stuff like that. So his to account be creative. for what happened the day before was that him and his mom went to Chuck E. Cheese. And then they <laughs> went to ice skating lessons. And he was bad. So they went home and he had to take a nap. Oh, he was bad. He was bad. So he needed a nap. So they went home, and when he woke up from his nap, he went to turn the TV on, and then he went to find his mom. And as he starts going into this part of his testimony, he starts stuttering so bad that she's oh, having a hard time no. understanding what he's, he's saying. He's traumatized. Yes, and he says that she was sick. So he said, I called my daddy, and they asked him if he heard anything. He said, somebody banged a hammer on the wall two times, and I think it was the Cookie Monster. He is only four. Yeah. And so they asked the boy if anyone was at the home. He said no. And he said then the firemen came and the policemen came and they took my mommy away. Oh my God. That's all they could get. He didn't see anybody enter or exit the home. He just, he didn't, that's all he But could. didn't he say earlier that his daddy was being silly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Cynthia meets with McGowan and she tells him that this could be truth or it could be what someone told him. It's really hard to tell. And also that he had also said that a, a helicopter came and swooped down and they put his mommy in a helicopter, but he was playing with a helicopter. And so she said, obviously, we know a helicopter was never there. Right. And he, she said, because he was watching Sesame Street when you guys arrived, part of his memory could be blurring with what he was watching on TV. So it's hard oh, to know. Oh, that's why I said the cookie monster. Right. Okay. If okay. he was watching the watching Sesame Street while the banging was going on, he may have thought... It was the TV or Cookie Monster was mm -hmm. making that noise. So it's hard for him to distinguish reality yeah. from... He's only four. He's four. Yeah. Back to the hospital. 
uh, Paula Donahue, the sister, and um, Roseanne's parents arrive. She was transferred to Presby Dallas Hospital. So how long of a gap was it from the time they she went to the hospital before her? they called her sister? She went how to much the hosp- time? They called her sister within five hours okay. of her going to the hospital. So her, her parents and, mo- and her sister and parents come in the next day. Okay. And they transferred her to Baylor Dallas because they had... Um, a better trauma yeah, unit. Better yeah. doctors there. And when they arrive, Larry Ayler is there. Larry Ayler, her parents, and her sister are all sitting around talking about what to do. Mm-hmm. Do we do we leave her on the ventilator? Do we unplug her? What, what would what, she want? Yeah. What do we want for Peter Jr.? What should we do? And I can't imagine that conversation, Mm-mm-mm. you know? Mm-mm. I mean, I'm glad that we all know each other well enough that I know that if something happened to Russell, he doesn't want to be on a ventilator the rest of his life. He doesn't want to be a vegetable. He doesn't. That's even not if, life. That's not. No, that's, that's survive. It's surviving, but it's not living. Yeah. And he knows I'm the same way. If I can't be independent, I don't want people taking care of me Mm-mm. indefinitely. So this conversation. If I can't talk to you and interact with you mm-hmm. on a permanent basis, I might as well not be here. Yeah, exactly. So they decide that they're going to unplug her. And see how long she survives. So they unplug her ventilator, and after 29 minutes, her heart stops. Oh no! And she is pronounced dead. So McGowan gets the call that Roseanne is dead, and they are now going to be investigating a homicide. Mm. McGowan calls Doctor Peter, the husband, and says, uh, "We we need to talk." And he's like, "All right." So he goes down to the station, and he kind of starts talking about what led up to this day. So this happened October 4th of 1983. 10 4. <laughs> 10 <four>, good buddy. <laughs> Peter oh, explained. Wait. It's not in the summer. What the it's hell? It's not. It's not. Okay. Well, I don't know. It could be it hot could October. <laughs> it could have been. Peter explains that in spring of that year, he started realizing that his marriage was in trouble. He said that he had hired Larry Ayler to oh, be a construction guy on how a new house. About that. Um, Ooh, I bet he was a hot construction guy. I'll show you his picture. Okay. He heard about Larry Ayler, that he was a, a good independent contractor, that he could do blueprints and he could do all this stuff. And so he hired him because he thought maybe get buying a new home now that they have Peter Jr. And that his he's making good money and Roseanne's enjoying being with their son and maybe a new house would kind of be a fresh start. He meets with Larry Ayler and they decide to have a house built that Roseanne had become very distant And when he would work long hours at the hospital, she usually would wait up for him. And when he would come home, she'd be awake and they would talk and Mm -hmm. he would eat dinner. And lately she had been asleep and been asleep for some time. she wasn't working? No, she just took care of Peter. Okay. Peter Jr. Yeah. Okay. So she stopped staying awake for him and she would be asleep. So they really didn't spend much time together anymore. And then whenever he was off or he was home, they really didn't talk much. And she just really showed little to no interest in the new house that he had spent all this time in and money in to have built. They had moved to Dallas, but they had moved to Dallas from another area, maybe Massachusetts. I was going to say, well, if that's where her family is from. I don't, I'm sorry that I don't know that detail, but they had moved to Dallas recently. And that move had affected her socially because she didn't have much friends. So it sounds like she didn't want to move. Maybe, Maybe she was depressed because Maybe. her family wasn't here. Her uh, friends aren't here. I mean, she met Peter here. She had been here for a while, but they moved. But you said that they'd only been there a few months, but they were already divorced. Where? Oh, so that was the new house. Okay. Yeah. So they lived she somewhere just, else in the DFW she, Arab right. area before that house. Right. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, um, well, the house that she was murdered in was her house that she moved in by herself. Oh, so she had only been in that house for a few months. Correct. Okay. She was lonely just being a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. And up until the spring, their sex life had not taken any hits. And then all of a sudden, the brakes were put on of the physical parts of the relationship, which we all know. What does that mean? She getting something on the side. She getting it from somewhere. Or if she just She's had the just baby. Done. Is she going through postpartum? She, yep. She could be depressed. Is she depressed? Is she self-conscious about her body after baby? Maybe. You know I mean? We it, all get that way. Could be a fair, but it could be other things, mm-hmm. right? So let me tell you about Peter. Oh, no. And tell you about how, how Peter. he is. Okay. So Peter suspects an affair. It consumes him. He is adamant that his wife is sleeping around. So at work, he's talking to his hospital colleagues, other doctors. He's like, I really think that she's having an affair. And they're like, you're overthinking it. Right? She's a stay-at-home mom. 
Children are hard. You're working all the time. So why wouldn't she be lonely and standoffish? You need to give her some time. So he spoke to his mother and told her what's going on. And he said, you need to be with her more. Why would she want to give you time if you don't give her time? I was just going to say that. Like if, if, if she's the only one doing the work all the time, even though he may be getting out and actually going to work and coming home, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have to put forth some effort right. in this romantic right. relationship as exactly. well. I mean, every relationship requires work mm-hmm. because you invest in the things that On you love. On both people's part. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So he talks to nosy Nancy in the neighborhood. Well, if he talked to his wife the way he talked to the neighbor, Amen. I wouldn't want mm-hmm. to be married to him either. So in their neighborhood, he talks to the nosy Nancy of the neighborhood. And she's like, I think your wife's having an affair with that building contractor because <gasps> she's here all the time bringing by supplies. Sometimes he brings food and he's like, all right. So this was before he was suspicious or while he was suspicious? This is while he was suspicious. Okay. So it didn't help. He went to the nosy neighbor, you know, the one person that knows everything about the neighborhood. Yep, the Gladys Kravitz of the neighborhood. He goes to her and she's like, well, to be honest, if you want my opinion, I think she's having an affair with Larry Ayler, your your contractor who Mm -hmm. was Larry Ayler, because he's always at the house. He's like, all right, well, just so happened the next day, Larry was going to be coming by and meeting with Peter and Roseanne and going over how the house was coming along. So after they had dinner and talked about the house, he walks Larry out to the truck and he's like, you know, I think Roseanne's having an affair. Let's just go straight to the point. Larry's like, all right, man, well, have a good night. And he leaves. He doesn't say anything. He just leaves. No confirm, no deny, just roll out. So he's still determined. So let me tell you what he did. Is he stalker? No, one evening he comes home, and of course his whole family is asleep. So he proceeds to go into the laundry room and go through her clothes. Oh, no. He finds a pair of her dirty underwear. What okay. a... I want oh, her still God. This part. I think I'm already gross. I'm already grossed out, and I don't even know. I wanted you to hear this part, so I stopped. Oh, really? So, husband, husband thinks that his wife's cheating on him, right? Sometimes that's all it takes. <laughs> so he goes home. While everybody's asleep, goes in the laundry room, finds a pair of her dirty panties. What, is he a dog? He soaks them, all the dirty pairs of underwear, collects the flushings, <gasps> gag, the right? What? The flushings. So he soaks her underwear yeah, and then he's, so he soaks her underwear in like water and then he squeezes them out and he takes that fluid with him that he soaked them in and wrung them out in. He takes them. To the hospital where oh he works. Oh my god, does he take it to the lab? And he fills it in different syringes and he looks in, un, underneath the microscope and he finds sperm. So he then asks a colleague, look under this microscope and tell me what you see. He's like, oh, that's sperm. What grade are you in? So he's like, my wife's having an affair. I mean, that's crazy, but he got the information he wanted. Yep. So that's pretty disgusting, and but. But they're not doing it? No, no. she cut him off. Yeah. Oh, well, there. Yeah, I mean, that's ex-wife already. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he confronts her, Does and she's he, like, "You're a crazy son so of a bitch." He tells I, her how he gets yeah, the evidence. Yeah, he's he's like proud of himself. I mean, I have to oh, say, it's pretty. Scientific. Why wouldn't you just take the underwear, put him in a baggie, and then just like swab him, right? Swab him, and then instead of going through all that work, he's a scientist, I guess. Okay. So she's like, you're crazy. It's absurd. I'm not doing that. You must have, it must have been an old pair from whenever we did, you know, and he's like, no, it's, it's not possible. Unless you haven't done laundry in six months. Um, but she said, speaking of which, I am very unhappy and I have been thinking of moving out and I want time to myself. I've been becoming very unhappy with our relationship. She says, I think I'm just going to move into the house that's being built because it's going to be done in a, in a month or so. I'm just going to move in there. The house on Logan, on Loganwood. And he's like, okay, fine. You can move in there. I'll pay the rent. I'll pay all your expenses. Whatever you want to do. But... Was she hot? <laughs> was she like I don't know. Smoking I'm just... hot or something? Because go fuck yourself. And <laughs> so he's like, okay, you know, we're going to work on our marriage. You go live there. We'll share Peter. We'll just... <laughs> share a what? <laughs> Did you say you're gonna? they're going to share a Peter? A Peter? They're going to share Peter. That's Peter what... Jr. is their son. Oh, okay. Thank God. We're going to share a Peter. Yeah. Oh, he's already... He's, he's not into this marriage anymore. He's not working on anything. He has well, a detachable penis and he's just going <laughs> to detach it and give it to her. 
That's where the sperm came from. That's it. It just leaked out when he detached. They're going to work on the marriage. So as he would come and visit her and bring their son, she was very distant, very cold. And so one Saturday he comes by to put together a swing set that he bought. So while he's in the kitchen, he notices Roseanne's purse was open and there was a number written on a piece of paper that he didn't recognize. So, of course, he wrote it down. And when he went home, he called the number. Guess who it was? Bum, bum, bum. Larry Ayler. Uh-oh. The contractor. It was a new was number. Well, the thing is, I don't think it is weird for her to have his number if he's I don't the either. contractor on the house that she's getting ready to move into. Right, exactly. So, no big deal. Right. He realizes it's a new number, and on the voice, on the answering machine, it says, this is my new number in my new apartment since I separated from my wife. Okay. So, Larry Ayler was also married okay. to Joy Ayler. So he has convinced himself again that they're still having an affair and they're still together. And so he decides to hire a private investigator named Jim Wright. When he sits down to have the meeting, Jim's like, I am so confused what exactly you're wanting from me. Because Peter tells him, why didn't he just go to cheaters? It would have been free. (laughs) So then we could have just watched this on TV. I know. Right. So Peter tells him, I want you to tell me if she's sleeping with Larry. He is my building contractor. I want you to tell me. And I want you to follow her so close. I want her to know that you're there and I want her to be scared. And he's what like, a dick. He's like, uh, I don't I think don't I do could that. do that for you. <laughs> no, yeah. you're That's a creepy, crazy psychopath. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm no. So he decides to get Roseanne's phone wiretapped and record her conversations because he wants to have proof. Because God forbid, if he, she is having an affair, he ain't paying her oh, any money. That's right. He doesn't have to pay. Right. She'll have to pay him alimony if she's been cheating. So a few days later, he's so excited to leave work. So how do you do the wiretap? This was in the 80s. This was 83. Were people using flip phones? It was was on her home phone. Oh, like the old school. You unscrew the doll and put the thing in there. So he's so excited after getting off work to go. Like he's He's like like Detective Detective McGowan is like his eyes lit up when he's like, I was so excited to go listen to see if maybe I was wrong. So he hears Roseanne on the phone because he can only hear her side, right? He can't hear Larry's right. side. And she's like, okay, well, I love you, Larry Ayler. And he's like, son of a bitch. And he's upset. So he gets really drunk. Why does she have to say his full name? And he calls Larry Ayler. <laughs> and <laughs> in a slurred this rage. Guy. Like, what do you think it sounded like? You <laughs> <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> So he calls him. That's sperm. That's such a sperm out of it. I know about him. Just sperm is. Crazy, you know, just work on cabinets, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. So, um, of course, Ayler denies everything. He's like, you're a drunken bum. If you ever call me again, I'm going to kick the shit out of you. So he slams the phone. Texas, y'all. Don't you miss being able to slam the phone? Yes. Like, now that we have cell phones, we don't get, we can't, like, Oh, no, no, it's a $700 phone. You can't slam it down. No, but I wish there was like, instead, there should be like hang up and like slam phone. And like it should make the <laughs> sound. sound. Like when you're that. so pissed that you can Is just there slam. There needs to be an app for no, that. There isn't. There needs to be. So a few days later, uh, Larry Ayler's at his house and he hears someone at the front door. So he looks outside and he sees Peter, an elderly woman who was his mother. Oh my God! He took Mama's his boy. mom with him. No wonder he's a scrub. Yeah. <laughs> um. So he opens the door. He's like, "Peter, I see you outside. <laughs> you brought your mommy." He's like, "Yeah, I came to see my wife. Is Roseanne here? I want to see her." And he's like, "She's not here. Do you want to come in?" He's like, "Yeah, I am." So he goes in. He searches the whole house. And, and does his mom stand outside, yeah. or does she follow? Yeah, she stands outside. And so that was his backup. <laughs> This little old elderly lady. And so... Um, Why am I imagining a little old German lady that looks yes. like buff that's going to kick anybody's ass <laughs> with a bonnet? <laughs> so um, Larry's like, you know what? I'm not sure what your problem is, but you need to work it out with her and not me. So don't come back. So the first week of June. So this is into the first week of June. So now... Um, wow, it's a long time. Yeah. So that she... The affair seemed to have started in April. She moved out in May. So first week of June, she files for divorce. And Peter goes on a drinking binge. 
He's drinking vodka every day. He's not eating. He loses 40 pounds in three months. Wow. And the doctors in the hospital are like, he is like a zombie. Yeah. Hopefully he's not doing surgeries and shit. Yeah. You said he's an internist? Yeah. He was like, he's probably like an ER doctor or just an attending. Just an ER doctor. That's fine. It's been on a vodka binge. No big deal. (laughs) Yeah, that's who I want to see. It's fine. It's fine. Just go on. They're fine. <laughs> the fed. <laughs> then Peter Jr. starts to act out. At school, he's getting calls that his stuttering is becoming very bad. <laughs> his stuttering is becoming very bad. And then he's becoming unmanageable at the school and they won't be able to keep him in the, yeah, in the when preschool. When the life's chaotic. If, if he's not going to change his ways. That's the unfortunate part of divorce. Besides, you know, the person that doesn't want it is the, the kids. So turned upside down. When he sees that his son is now suffering from his actions, he's like, you know what? I need to accept the fact that Roseanne doesn't want me. She's gone. She's made her decisions. Mm-hmm. I need to focus on him. This and little boy right I here. I need to get custody, <clears throat> joint custody. And um, because he had been drinking so much, Roseanne had gotten sole custody. So until mm-hmm. he showed that he had changed, he wasn't going to get anything. So he stopped drinking. He started taking antidepressants. He started working out, eating healthy. And he opened his own private practice to get away from the hospital, make his own hours, be able to be there for his son. Peter had threatened Roseanne that if she didn't give him joint custody, that that tape he had recorded on her talking oh, to Oh, so Larry, he told her that he had... Yes. He said, if you don't, I'll re- I have tapes on you and I'll release them. And um, she's like, do what you have to. I'm not backing down. I don't trust that you are in the right state of mind to take care of our son. So if you feel like that's what you need to do, go ahead. You don't think she believed him or just she just didn't want to share I don't, custody? I'm sure she believed him, but she I'm sure she care. probably thought, what is a, a judge isn't going to take that into consideration and how well that you care for your son. I mean, if you put that much effort into caring for your son as you do oh, find out point. if I have an affair... Then maybe that's true. would be in this situation. So Peter decides to call Joy, Larry's wife. Oh my God. And tell Did her he take what his he's mom got. with him? <laughs> I was like, what an instigator. Mommy. You know? Mom. Mom. Mommy. Mom. <laughs> so <laughs> in late August, Peter called Joy, invited her over, and he played the tape with her of oh, how shit bag. and at this point he had uh the these tapes that he had had were but both him and sides. His, she was separated from larry already Correct. Right? Yeah. so she probably was like okay fine whatever right so she listens to tapes listens to all of them and some of it was some of it was like light phone sex that they were having oh so he recorded a lot yeah and he recorded okay. both sides he had tapped larry's phone and her oh phone. that's what he did when he brought his mom correct okay so that was his way to tap a phone Joy listens to all of it completely emotionless. And then she's like, you know what? Can you re- replace some of those parts of all the things he said that I did wrong? He's like, you don't even care that they're like talking about cocks and boobs and stuff. And you just want to hear about the things you did wrong. And she's like, yeah, because that's what matters to me because I'm trying to work on my marriage. And he's like, okay. Oh, wow. So Look at her taking responsibility. And so he's like, well, we need to go to our lawyers and tell them this. And then we can basically get cheaper out of our divorce i mean larry's worth a lot of money i won't have to pay her as much and she's like i'll think about it so the next day she calls him she's like yeah i'm, I'm not doing that Mm-mm. you're I, crazy I, no, i'm yeah after peter tells mcgowan all this and has explained everything he takes it and two weeks later so it's two weeks after the murder has happened peter and larry approach mcgowan and say we both want to do a polygraph test because we want to prove to you that we're not involved we both love roseanne and we're sad that she's gone and we weren't involved so they took it and they both passed. Well, Larry had brought Joy with him and she's like, well, I mean, I'll take one too. I mean, I don't. Mm-hmm. And so she took it and she passed as well. So they're like, okay, these three are Even are though good. those don't really hold up in court. True. It at least shows that you're not hiding anything if you're willing to take it, right? Right. So because those three have passed, now he's like, well, shit, what is the motive here? Again, you know, there's, it's no, no burglary. And uh, she only had a $150,000 life insurance policy and it, fifty thousand was to be paid out for her funeral expenses, and the other hundred thousand was left to Peter Jr. So, so, was there not any evidence on her? Did they have any DNA on her? No DNA at this time. They didn't bring her panties. Out. You said that she was raped. Yeah, but they didn't do the DNA in the eighties. They didn't have DNA. Oh yet. shit! I keep forgetting. Yeah. Damn it. So, um, fifty thousand. They didn't soak her panties in. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm gonna be well, I mean, shit, they need now. to get him on the case. He'll figure it out. 
<laughs> Just give me a bowl of water and a microscope. I got you. Um, so the money angle for life insurance didn't make sense because mm-hmm. fifty thousand was paid right away to the funeral, and then the other hundred thousand would be in holding until Peter Jr. turned eighteen. Yeah. So that's what motive should... besides a four year old? What motive? Well, is plus, there? I mean, he was a doctor, so money wasn't he could no. I mean, clearly he's regained his life back, got clean, started his own business. When you're a doctor, you can do that, right? So money mm-hmm. wasn't anything. Although he was very frugal if he's like worrying about how to save more money yeah. by proving that she was cheating on him. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it wasn't so much just about not having to pay her. It was because because she was cheating, he yeah. didn't want her to have the money. Yeah. So McGowan's thinking, okay, in Peter's testimony, he stated that during the time that Roseanne was shot from 4 to 4.45, which that's when they feel she was shot because they entered the home about 7, between 6.45 and 7, mm-hmm. and she had been shot hours previously. Peter would take naps at work from 4 to 4.45. Everyone in the office said during that time he would take a nap. He would close the door and he would take a nap towards the end of the day before he would close up for the day. Just what he did. Okay. And then he shows up at the house, right, whenever the police are there. So McGowan decides to go to Peter's office and make that drive at mm-hmm. if he, let's say I'm sleeping here and then I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping and, I'm sleeping and now I'm driving. And so he goes all these different routes and he still ends up at that house at the time he arrived. So he's like, if he had shot her, there's no way he would have been able to make it back to the office in 45 minute rush hour and then make it back to the house like he did. There's just no way. Mm-hmm. So he felt that there was no way that the that the doctor could have done it. There was just too many people that saw him in the office. Patients saw him. The office staff did. It's not something he it's, can fake. No. Even if he were, no. they were lying for him. So he goes back to Roseanne's activities the day of the murder and the days leading up. And he's like, she's such an easy target. She has the same routine every day. Um, nothing had changed. But he starts looking at, because he's going back through her activities, and he sees that there's a police report from the Wednesday before she was shot that she had called the police because when returning home with her son, she found a broken window near the back door. As they looked through the house, all that was missing was a set of keys to her house. Oh my God, I'd be changing every freaking lock. So she... Funny you say that. She called a locksmith uh-huh. the next day and she knew right away. She's like, it has to be Peter. Why else would anybody want a key to my house? Larry already has a key. Why is he doing this? The locksmith came and changed all the locks and she told him, she's like, I think it was my ex-husband. Could he have done this? And why would someone just take a set of keys? And mm-hmm. the only reason why she knew that they were missing is because she had just made copies and she had them hanging. And that was the only thing on that rod that was hanging and they were they were gone. Unless there was something else that would take it that she didn't notice. True. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to account for everything in your right. home, you know? Right. McGowan goes through item by item how what happened that day. So in the morning, she dropped her son off at daycare. Then she met Larry and went with him to a few job sites. At 11 a.m., she picked up her son from preschool. She went to the bank, ATM, got some cash out. And then at 12, she called Larry from her home and left a message saying, I'm home, that Peter had ice skating today, and we're going to get a bite to eat, and then go to his lessons and be back around 3, call me then. They left the house, they ate lunch at Chuck E. Cheese, and then they arrived at Prestonwood Center. Do you remember where that was? Mm-hmm. It sounds familiar. Um, and had ice skating lessons at 1.30, and halfway through the practice... <laughs> Peter misbehaved. He was bad. He was Which bad. Which is what he said. Yep. She made him get off the ice. And while she was finishing up the rest of the kids, she noticed Roseanne had left. So she was going to tell her what happened with him and said, well, I'll just call her later. So, um, and saw them leave. So the last time anybody saw her was at 2.30 at the skating rink. The son had said that they went back and she he took a nap. Larry Ayler said he called a little past three with no answer. So he said he tried every 10 minutes from 3.30 to 4 with no answer. The skating instructor called twice with no answer during that time slot. Mm -hmm. So the phone's ringing off the hook. Now, because of all, I guess, marketing and sales or something, Roseanne had instructed Peter Jr., you don't ever answer the phone. You're never allowed to answer the phone. So the little boy just let it ring. He didn't think about answering it. So after 6 p.m. But didn't Larry say that Peter Jr. answered the phone? So around 6, Dr. Peter was on the phone with his mom. Dr. Peter. Not the penis. He's in his office on the phone with his mom and he receives a beep. He is definitely a mama's boy. Yes. 
He so re- he's at the office at six. Mm-hmm. Wait, I thought he was already on his way back to her house in there by seven. Well, because he gets his call. Oh, okay. Usually he's heading back home between six and seven. Okay. He's at the office. He's, his mommy calls. He's on the phone with his mom and he, he hears a beep. So he clicks over and he hears his son on the line. And he says, something's wrong with mommy. And he said, okay, son, just take the phone to mom. I'll talk to her. And he said, she won't wake up and stuff is coming out of her mouth. Hold on a second. The little boy knows how to dial his dad's number? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what Peter's saying. Okay. That the little boy dialed him and called him. Do you think a four-year-old can dial a seven-digit number? No. And is this back in the day when we still had the rotary? When did the rotary phone go out? Like, I, I don't know. It, I mean, even if, we it had the push a, button. even if it was a push button. Was he trained to do that? Some kids? I mean, if they tra- if you train them. Maybe. Maybe. And so he, um, she won't wake up. The doctor automatically fears that maybe she's committed suicide. That's his concern. That's the first thing he goes so to. So he goes Not that she might have eaten something bad and be sick. Right. Exactly. So he clicks back over to the line with his mom and he says, call 911. I'm going to stay on the phone with my son. Hang up with me. Call 911. Okay. Send him to the house. So this is what caused the EMTs to show up. Correct. Okay. So um, Richardson PD received 911 call at 6.33 p.m. And that's why it was very nonspecific. I received a call. My grandson received a call. Someone's injured. What's interesting though, plot twist, weird twist. Larry Ayler says at 6.30, Peter Jr. answered the phone because he kept calling. Right. And he said, I need to speak to your mom. And he said she couldn't come to the phone. She was sick. And after a few times of him saying, just go, he hears a male voice in the background say, hang up the goddamn phone. And the (gasps) line went dead. And he said he swears that it was Peter. It was Peter. Of course. So who do you think it was? I think it was Peter. Think it was Peter? Mm Mm-hmm. So McGowan wants the doctor to be the perpetrator in the sense that it makes sense and it's easy, but it well, just doesn't fit. I don't think fit. it's him for that. I think it's him because he was jealous and pissed off and I don't know. Maybe so. his, it was his mom. <laughs> you think little German lady with her cane? <laughs> so then McGowan starts to analyze the fact that you have this woman, right? There had to be some time leading up to obviously the initial attack or the the bad part of the attack so you have someone coming at her and then they're tying her up and now they're assaulting her why didn't she scream for help and why do you put your your nightgown on at 5 30 mm-hmm. or 4 yeah. or 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening so don't judge me do you well i mean i, I put my I mean, pjs on when i get home but yeah not as soon as i get home well and at this time if you, if you think she said she'd be home after three yeah, and her so little boy's there, so you're yeah. not going to be having sex while your little boy's awake right. and they're watching TV. But if it's her ex-husband, right, why wouldn't she struggle and scream? Because if she screams, the little boy's going to come in, mm-hmm. and he's going to see his dad attacking her. But if it's a stranger, she doesn't know what this man's capable of. She's not going to scream, right? Well, yeah. As a right. mom, you're going to protect your kids, exactly. so you're going to be quiet. So he feels like if it had been the dad, she would have fought off the attack. She would have yelled. She would have screamed. She would have made noise because she knows in the next room, number one, he knows his son could walk in. Mm-hmm. And number two, she knows what he's capable of. She married him. She had a child with okay. him. She knows him. That's logical. But like that. if all of a sudden a, a attacker comes in and it's a stranger, she doesn't know what this person's capable of and what they could do to her or her son. Mm-hmm. So she has to for her son. And so this part kind of made me sad. He's like, she stayed quiet and allowed the attack to happen because she didn't know what he would do to her son. Like, can you imagine as much as, as sad I mean, as that's it is, what moms do. It that's is what moms it, do. As sad as that part was to me, I thought, but you would do it. Absolutely. Because, and even if you ultimately die with what he's done to you, at least you did whatever you could to protect your child. Mm-hmm. So 20 months go by. So we're in June of 1985. Shit. And we have no information. We have no suspects. Oh, we have better. nothing. And so where is Peter Jr.? Is he... He's with the dad. <clears throat> oh, okay. So they couldn't, since they don't have anything on him. But didn't the little boy say, Daddy, you're so silly. Mm-hmm. You know how this ends. I don't. Henry Davis, who is Roseanne's father, okay, lives in Massachusetts. 
He is so tired of waiting. He wants justice for, blame him. for his daughter. <clears throat> so he hires a private investigator named Frank Joyce. Frank Joyce comes from Massachusetts down to Texas. I was going to ask you if he was a local investigator. Yeah, he's from Massachusetts. He's from upstate. So he comes down here and he goes over everything McGowan has done. Recounts everything. He re-interviews everyone. And he pretty much has the same. Everything's the same. Yeah, but you just want to make sure there's yeah. not something uncovered. Right. Yeah. So he doesn't find anything new. And his last stop is... Um, Larry Ayler and his wife, Joy, he goes to their house. So, oh, so they're back together. Yes. So he goes over oh. and he has dinner. Larry talks openly in front of Joy about the relationship he had with Roseanne. And she wasn't bothered when Frank goes back home. He recounts everything, you know, in his head. And so he asks his wife, he says, you know, you're madly in love with me. And then you're madly in love with me. We're madly in love with each other. Right. Then one day you decide I'm going to leave. Right. I'm done. I'm not happy. I leave. Then a person that I start dating dies. Do you take me back? And she's like, the hell? No, no. If you want to go be with someone else, you'd be with someone else. And so he's like, why would Joy take him back? That really bothered him. Like, what is Mm -hmm. it about him that you would just take back just because his lover dies? A woman that he had an affair with dies and you just take him back. Well, let's let's get it straight. She doesn't just die of a heart attack. No. She dies and then nobody knows. She was murdered. Yeah. Raped and murdered. Absolutely. And nobody knows who did it or why. So that's a little sketchy. A little sketch, right? So Frank starts doing research about Larry and Joy and who they are. And he finds out that Larry had an affair with Joy's sister. <gasps> what? And Joy had become pregnant when whenever he, she found out that he had an affair and she went to New York and had an abortion. Because she refused to have a child with a man that would sleep with her sister. I don't blame him. I don't blame her. So a year goes by. June of 1986. Okay, so this is almost three years since the murder. Larry Ayler is at BJ's Restaurant and Cafe. <gasps> in Allen? And he's having oh, coffee. And it, it's in Richardson. We <laughs> He's having coffee. Unless they promote us. And in that case, just yeah. let us know. Give me some money or free food. Okay. So he's having coffee with a friend of his named Don Kennedy. So um, they're talking back and forth about their plans for the day. And Larry's like, well, I have to go to my family farm and I have to prepare the horses for horseback riding because my wife and her mom are going to go and they're going to go horseback riding. I need to get the horses ready. And so they start joking about seeing her mom, her mom riding a horse. I was like, what an asshole. Because he's like laughing about his mother-in-law getting on a horse and riding it around. Okay. Like how absurd that sounds. Is she real uptight or something? I don't know. Okay. I guess it's an inside joke. Don, they yeah, know. I okay. guess. So Don's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go with you. I don't have anything to do. So around 11, they head to Kaufman County, which is where his farmland is. You know, they walk the property and just make sure the fences are good, gates are good, and they saddle up the horses. They go sit in the loft of the barn, and they can see out onto the main road. So when the women arrive, they can go down and greet them. And they're drinking whiskey and hanging out, and... They waited for a few hours and only saw one truck come up the road and then leave. So Larry's like, well, maybe she changed her mind or maybe she got lost because she did ask for me to draw her a map because she didn't know how to get up here. She hadn't been up here in a long time. So they unsaddle the horses and they head back to town. And as they're driving down the road, they see an old truck that's stuck on the bridge over the creek that goes out to the main road. So as they slow down, they take a peek to see if anyone needed help and they hear gunfire and the front and the side windows are blown out of the Suburban they're driving. And so Dawn looks out the back window to see someone standing in the middle of the road with a gun pointed at him. So Dawn yells, let's get out of here. And as he's yelling, another gunshot goes through his door and hits him in the elbow. He's like, I've been shot. Larry, you need to get out of here. So Larry floors it. Case File 23, Roseanne Galliunas, to be continued. <laughs>